0: Father's commandments, forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. That word bind only appears one other time in the Bible in Job chapter 31, verse 36. Tie them around your neck. In other words, you're supposed to really make this close to you, what your father is saying, what your mother is teaching. Why? Verse 22, when you walk... Now, it says they will lead you, but it's also she will lead you. When you lie down, she will watch over you. And when you are awake, she will talk with you. Now, that's really important because it refers to whenever the sun is walking, she is going to be leading you. Whenever you're lying down, she will watch over you. And when you are awake, she will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Now that's very interesting, that what God is saying We've got to knock on the front door, open it. We're sorry. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light. This is really referring to Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the light of the world, and he is a lamp. And the warnings of discipline are the road of life. Now, when we talk about warnings of discipline, we're really talking about the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Why would you use the word reproof? Because Solomon is talking to his son who is a sinner, and parents talk to children who are sinners, and so a lot of time their commandments are reproofs and teachings of discipline. And what is the purpose of those teachings of discipline? To preserve you from the evil woman, to guard you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Now there must have been quite a number of problems in Solomon's day with women. Because this is another time that he's warning his son against the evil woman. And he is warned against the evil woman by the commandment of his father and the teaching of his mother. So when he says from the smooth tongue of the adulteress, this is a woman who is trying to get the son to sin. Uh, against the commandments of God, and they are not married. And therefore, if he does something with her, that is going against not only God's commandments, but also his father's commandment and his mother's teaching. To preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Now that can refer to either her beauty... Or it can refer to the way that she's manipulating men by what she says. She may be captivating them with her words. Verse 25 goes on. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Now, remember... Eyelashes or eyes can send messages. I know when you've been married for a long time, you may be in a conversation with some people. They may ask you, uh, would you be willing to maybe go out to a restaurant with them or would you be willing to go visit them or, or something like that? And you may turn to your wife and you can tell by her eyes, her eyelashes, whether she wants to do that or not. And then you would go along with what your wife wants to say if it isn't part of your ministry. So eyelashes are really important. You can send messages through them. And what these sinful women try to do is use their beauty or their eyelashes to make you feel comfortable with them and to actually give you a temptation to be with them in an immoral way. Verse 26 says, if you're dealing with a prostitute, well, you may only lose the amount of money that costs for a loaf of bread. So depending on where you're at, for example, there are those women who charge $1,000 a night, but they are usually part of an organization that puts notices in Facebook or something like that in comparison to the women who are on the streets, and they charge hardly anything. And so it may be only for the price of a loaf of bread that you can be with her, but she needs drugs, or she has to pay her pimp, and so therefore she's willing to do that. But now if she's a married woman, listen to verse 26, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. What does that mean? Well, it means that she really is looking for prey, P-R-E-Y. Prey to hunt down and look at how many lives have been ruined who have been married to women and then fool around with women who are not their wives. And that way their precious life is destroyed. I mean, movies are rampant today of that going on. And the reverse is also true, where a husband would cheat on his wife. And, of course, she'll divorce him. Or I just saw a movie recently where she hired someone to put her husband to death. So this is what it's meant here, that the price of some girl on the corner may not be much, and nobody else will know about it. But a married woman, wow, they're hunting down their prey somebody who can be destroyed in fact it's not at all unusual that a woman will take a man to a motel room and then while they're breaking the commandment of god there's someone with a camera or a movie camera taking pictures of it and they begin to blackmail a man or else they're going to tell his wife so this is what is meant that some hunt down a precious life. 27, God is now going to give a metaphor. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or, verse 28, can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? That's a similar idea that's found in Isaiah, chapter 43, verse 2. And therefore, that's teaching that there are repercussions for breaking God's commandments. You carry fire next to your chest. Don't be surprised if your clothes are burned. If you walk on hot coals, Don't be surprised that your feet are scorched. Now, that's not being taken literally, but it's a metaphor that when you do these things, this is the problem that occurs in your life. Negative repercussions are part of what God has set in his commandments. Verse 29, So is he... Who goes into his neighbor's wife? None who touches her will go unpunished. Now, that is talking about a repercussion and a negative consequence of what happens when you break that commandment. You will not be found innocent. This is found in Leviticus 20, verse 10. The punishment for that breaking of uh, God's law, that sin, is the death penalty. Remember, Jesus comes across a woman who they want to stone because they accuse her of committing adultery. Without going into the details so much, they don't really have the evidence that is normally needed. So Jesus says, whoever has no sin, throw the first stone. And of course, nobody does it because they recognize that they too are sinners. But that is a penalty of death for adultery. In fact, in Ezekiel 13, verse 18, it talks about those women who are witches who are hunting for lives. That's kind of in agreement with verse 26. But if you fool around with a married woman, she may be hunting down your precious life. So verse 30 talks about the consequences of sin. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. So we can understand why some people steal, because they have no food, and we can have a reason. But then it goes on, verse 31, but if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods Of his house. You know, this is really God witnessing what he is doing. And it's not at all unusual that such individuals who do this sin end up losing their wealth and being paid much more than they can afford. He will give all the goods of his house because of that sin. So verse 32, he who commits adultery lacks sense. Another way of looking at that is he who does that sin is devoid of his mind or out of his mind. I mean, we're really surprised that God is allowing this to happen because this man is devoid of his sense. Reminds us of that parable of the prodigal son. When it says, when he comes to his senses, he decides, I'm going to go home, tell my father, I'm a terrible person, I'm not worthy to be called your son, but give me the best paying job on the farm. Self-employment. More money than anybody else. The young man is devoid of his mind. He's using his own mind rather than the mind of God, where there's no repentance here. There's just an attempt at manipulating his father to get what he wants because he's so hungry. He's willing to eat the pods that he feeds to the pigs, So he lacks sense, but more than that, verse 32, he who does it destroys himself. Yes, we destroy ourselves when we break the commandments of God, because we are going against God's will for us. And when we go against God's will, it's really a destruction of ourselves as the devil leads us into unbelief. And we will therefore get a lack of sense, destroy ourselves. And verse 33 continues, he will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. Now, the word for wound can also be translated as diseases. I had a a friend, who got arrested for gay activity. And he not only lost his wife, was arrested by the police, but he had to go and live by himself in an attic in a house in St. Louis. And he finally, about a year later, called me and asked me to come and visit him. And he came, and I came to that attic And he was very, very sick. It was the only time I saw him. And I believe he died after that, did not hear about it. But he was trying to repent of what he had done to his wife, his family, etc. And so we not only gave him the absolution, but also provided him with the Lord's Supper. But he was quite wounded, with a disease that he had received because of his immoral behavior. And he was dishonored with his home. And his great disgrace will not be wiped away. Now, in this case, he had sinned against his own wife. But imagine if a man sins with another man's wife. Then verse 34 continues, For jealousy makes a man furious. In fact, it can be understood as jealousy arouses a man to be furious. Now that's really important because that's talking also about God's attitude. He became furious With many in the nation of Israel, when they worshiped other gods, when they did not do proper worship, when they thought they could buy God off by purchasing sacrifices, and therefore God became jealous. God is a jealous God who will not permit idolatry to continue in his people. And what happened to them? They were sent into Babylonian captivity for a time. Now, there were some who still believed in the proper God, and they were brought back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and to continue the ministry that God had intended. But many others died. In fact, on the road to Canaan, remember, many refused to go into the land of Canaan Because they thought that the men there, the Canaanites, were giants who could easily defeat them in battle. And therefore, they did not believe that God's promise was true, that he would help them to defeat the immoral Canaanites. So, God becomes jealous and he becomes furious with those who are sinning. At the end of verse 34, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. Another way of looking at that is he will not show mercy when he gets revenge. Now, we don't think of God as one who gets revenge. But from the point of view of a human, that is what is happening when You do a terrible sin against God. Do not repent of it. God becomes furious and gives you a negative consequence. A lot of times people will say, what did I do to deserve that? Now there they're not talking about the true God. They're talking about a false God who gets even with you for your sin. And they think that God is taking revenge when that is simply a form of discipline. For example, if you have a little child and he sees you maybe lighting a cigarette and he sees the matches and you're gone and he goes ahead and starts to strike matches, what are you going to do? You're going to stop him and explain to him that that could catch a fire going, and he could hurt himself and also burn down the house. And so it isn't taking revenge on your child to stop him from playing with matches. It's actually a loving discipline that God does. And many people, all you have to do is go to a prison, and you will find many prisoners there who have become Christian when they hear the message of forgiveness and the blessings of Jesus Christ. Now, verse 35, speaking of a jealous husband and of God, he will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. What's that talking about? How many times do we, even as a Christian, we do something wrong? We recognize it is wrong. And we tell God something like, well, God, I will never do it again. I'll go to church every Sunday if you take away the negative consequence. And I will give more money to the church. God will not accept any of those things as compensation to balance out what you have done with your sin. He will refuse you even if you increase the bribe to God, because we have a God who cannot be bribed. For when you say, I will do many more things for you in order that you may be saved, the fact is you're trying to be saved by what you're doing. By your works. And that is a clear distinction between law and gospel. Under the law, there's no compensation you can return to God to offset your sins. Instead, Jesus Christ has offset your sins by dying on the cross. And then he uses the means of grace, which is word and sacrament to bring you into a right relationship with Him. There is no compensation needed because Jesus has done it all. So repentance follows when you come to understand what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. And that's the message of the church, that because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, then God is therefore with you. I'm Tom Baker. Hope you enjoyed this section of Proverbs 6. Uh, we'll be continuing with Proverbs next week, God willing. And tomorrow, we're going to be taking a look with Wes Reimnitz on something you will find interesting, how Christians are regarded by unbelievers unbelievers. Until then, I'm Tom Baker. God bless you.